Welcome to episode 234 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. Two weeks ago, on a random Thursday morning, I found myself driving around the Boston area for over an hour. I was on a quest. After keeping temptation at bay for nearly two months, I had finally given in to full-on FOMO. At first, I told myself it was a good thing I couldn't jump into the fun right away because I had very specific goals for these 12 weeks and I didn't want to be derailed. Then, one by one, friends told me I would do really well, maybe even help my business, and shouldn't see it as a distraction. What am I referring to? Clubhouse. I may not have mentioned this before, but I'm in a cross-platform relationship with my wife. She's all Apple all the way, and I'm not ready to give up my Samsung Galaxy. And Clubhouse is not yet available on Android. Thus, my initial sense of relief when I realized I couldn't just jump right in at the end of last year when it blew up in my social scene. So what was I doing driving around Boston on a quest? When I finally accepted that I should check out Clubhouse, I needed to get myself a hand-me-down iPhone. I posted a request online and within one day was gifted an iPhone 6S that was in impeccable shape. It was even rose colored, which somehow even I know was considered cool back in 2015. This gift came from a colleague that I've known for many years. We first met through Socializing for Justice, also known as SoJust, a group I founded in 2006 that hosted events twice a month for 11 years. We reconnected when she began to attend my weekly No More Bad Zoom virtual happy hours held every Friday at 5 o'clock Eastern. You can learn more at nomorebadzoom.com. I asked what she wanted in exchange for this prized possession, and she said, I'm happy to give you the phone as you've given me so much with SoJust and No More Bad Zoom. And that's how I finally got on Clubhouse. Press on the bell on my profile at Robbie Samuels to be alerted when I'm hosting a room. Your challenge for this week, be abundant with your knowledge as giving it away will not deplete you and will help your community. Host gatherings that encourage participants to engage with each other and find uncommon commonalities. Celebrate your colleagues' small victories and large ones too, maybe even with a surprise card or gift in the mail. Give, give, give with no expectations and be pleasantly surprised when you receive exactly what you need when you need it. Try this and let me know how it goes. Now, onto this week's interview. Today's guest believes that most stress is avoidable and that there is always a reason to be optimistic and have hope during tough times. She's the author of Married My Mom, Birth a Dog, How to Be Resilient When Life Sucks, a book that teaches us how to fight back and win. She's a speaker and coach that believes people need to shift their relationship with challenge and change. She's spoken for Fortune 500 companies since 2006 and coaches small business owners who are stuck and feel overwhelmed. To help others get out of their own way and step into their brilliance, she created the Ultimate Resilience Program. Please join me in welcoming Allison Graham. 
Thank you for having me. It's awesome uh, to be here and on your show and uh, to share with your listeners. Can't wait for where this conversation goes. I got to admit. <laughs> brilliant. Brilliant. Well, it's here's how it's going to start. I've, I've been doing this show for years now, and the context is leadership because I always figure anyone who's um, succeeded in their field industry has developed networks, and that's a really important conversation. So tell me, how do you define leadership, and when did you realize you had the skills to lead? Well, it's interesting because when I think of leadership, I think of self-leadership. So that's what comes to my mind. And in terms of definition for that, it's really about how do you choose your path and be able to take the necessary steps, no matter what gets in your way, to continue on that path and then pulling the leadership, inspiring others to come with you. And so that is the way I look at leadership. I spoken like someone who speaks about resilience a lot. <laughs> Seems I like sure a do. real connection to, to the resilience piece. But so, so self-leadership, yeah. I mean, it, so it starts from within, basically. Absolutely. I think that, and I've worked with executives over the years, business owners. I mean, I've been in business for 14 and a half years. And, you know, that piece, if they're leading and they're not self-aware, if they're not figuring out how do they deal with their own biases? How do they deal with their own limitations? How do they deal with, you know, how they're showing up when something's going wrong, then they can't effectively lead their team. And not only that, I mean, the piece about resilience is because leadership generally really matters when you're trying to achieve something important. And whenever we try to do something important and step out of our comfort zone, obstacles will present themselves to us. So if we have obstacles, we need to be able to deal with those, which equals more leadership, which you can't have if you don't have the self-leadership. So there's how all that comes together in my mind. Yeah, yeah, no, that's great. Where where do you think these ideas stem from? Like, when did you first start to think about leadership and and realize that you may have that potential? Well, I, uh, I realized it a lot further or a lot sooner than I realized I had potential for it two very different times in my life. So I was young, I was in, uh, I would say 19 years old. I'd already been through eating disorders, uh, you know, traumas, different things in my life. Uh, I've also, I also went like sailing for Canada, you know, over in France. So I had like kind of this charmed life with a whole bunch of trauma mixed in. And so I got involved in a lot of self-help work, Tony Robbins, following that kind of guru, uh, the different network marketing things that I did when I was young. I don't do those now, but I celebrate people who have the guts to do it and succeed. And so on that path, I saw that there were people who are making a huge difference in other people's lives. So that was early. I didn't figure out that I could do that (laughs) until uh, maybe 10, 15 years later, at least. I, I was wondering if you were going to ask me what day it was and be like, it was about 10 days ago, but right. yeah. <laughs> Might have been, yeah, 20 yeah. years later. So yeah. it, because I think it's a progression as we get to know ourselves and we get to see where, where we thrive. And one of the, the things I've noticed is that people will come to me when they're feeling overwhelmed, when they're feeling like they can't quite see their brilliance anymore. And I just see it. I'm like, Ooh, wait, you're talking like this. And yet what about this and this and this and this? And so I didn't understand that was a gift for me until probably a couple of years ago when I was like, oh, oh, they were really upset. They're no longer upset. 
They think I'm the reason that happened in between to move them. Maybe that's a thing. Yeah, maybe that's a thing. And also, it sounds like the fact that you faced some hardships and learned some things along the way has um, like that, that lived experience gives you the empathy to hear them and see them. But I'm actually curious. I know you said that was way back at 19. What were you like on the playground? Like, like who are you as a kid? Um, you know, what did you want to be when you were 12? Or did you ever run for office? Or were you the kind of shy kid? Like, who, who were oh, you? No. I was the, I was number two on the playground. So what that means is there's Stacey Hubbell-Thwaite, who was the most popular girl in school, and I was her sidekick. So that's who I was. And I had, an, I was kind. I learned that from my father. You treat everybody equally. You are, um, you see the best in everybody. So that was important, except I would say I was often told to be quiet often told I didn't like not getting my way you know my parents might have considered me quite selfish I think I was just a very good advocate for what I, what I really really wanted um so that was it the interesting thing that I remember most from my childhood as I've explored this resilience and self-leadership uh, work is I remember and my mom reminds me of this I came home with a test and it had two red marks on it. One said 97 and one said 67. So I had a test, I got 97% and I covered it up with my thumb and put 67% so I could show my friends that I was not doing well. Wow. So this begins the writing of the patterns in my life and I think we all have them. Trying to downplay trying to play small for fear of being not accepted or outshining people you know somebody said to me a while ago you know the sun just shines it doesn't give a care who it shine like who who's in the shade or who's in the sunshine right like you know just the sun shines and i think each one of us we have to shine to our fullest potential that's what we're here for that's what we need to do and figuring out how do we interrupt those patterns of dulling our lights so that we can is, you know, a journey that I continue to, to navigate. I'm really glad this came up actually, because it's, it's been a topic of conversation amongst me and my friends. Um, I mentioned to you before the show started that um, I had to completely reinvent my business uh, in March because it was very focused on in-person networking at conferences and the keyword being at <laughs> and we were not doing that. We're not going to do that. So, um, but between April and uh, eight months later, I, I went from, you know, I wasn't quite sure what to do and how to show up and be of value to building a, a thriving six figure plus business and working my butt off in the process. And I would share the journey all along the way. Um, I've always shared the journey. Like it, it's not a new phenomenon. But it was very interesting how, because the backdrop of all the difficulties of 2020, some people heard my update and was, you know, they were like inspired and they would then share their update or their challenge or ask for advice or I'd make an introduction for them, or it would be a point of connection and I'd be able to then see them and support them. And others would say, oh, you know, we don't, don't Nick say on that. Like, could you just don't, you know, so it's, you're saying you got to shine. I think you do. I think there's a way to do it humbly. 
I, I sometimes don't cross that line because here's the thing. I was so, I mean, I have an eating disorder. I have had chronic neuropathic pain since the surgery in 2007. I have spent years, decades of my life beating myself up. Mm-hmm. And when you finally, finally, finally get over that, it's hard to pepper it down. Yeah. Right. Like I'll catch words and, you know, I'll say things like, um, you know, whatever I might say, like any word, pick a word, you know, like, oh, I look awful in this. And I will, like, I am so in the habit if that comes because that's ingrained. We still have that first response. My focus is what's the second response? How quickly can we interrupt the negative pattern so that we can choose a different way to, to proceed. So when I say something like that, my body immediately goes, uh, uh-uh, no, we're not accepting that. And I will like challenge myself to stay there in front of the mirror until I see something positive. Nice. Yeah. Right? And that, that's hard to do. I think that we're so, you know, it's a lot about who you surround yourself with. Mm-hmm. There are people who will always love to who recognize recognize it's collaboration not competition that gets us further along the path and then there are those who you know they're miserable and misery loves company and it's a lot easier to be miserable than it is to be joyful and to see the opportunity and to weed through all of the the tough stuff and go you know what yes i had a successful business before the pandemic and that all got ripped away I've decided that I'm not going to sit in the fetal position underneath the dining room table for the next eight months. I'm going to rebuild a business and see how I can apply that in this circumstance. And you did that masterfully. That's harder than sitting in the dumps, than saying, I give up and woe is me. And I'm just going to like throw my hands up because this is the reality. Like you excelled. And because of it, the people who you inspired also have new opportunity. Like to me, I just love that. Yeah. Actually, the more I've thought about it, it feels selfish to not share your joy because your joy helps other people imagine their own. And then they could ask for you to help them get further along to whatever that joy is. But if I shade my joy, if I hide it, right. Or I diminish it in some way, they don't know it's possible and they can't ask for my help. Right. And you're not setting the example and you're also not being authentic to yourself. I had no idea we were going to have this conversation and I'm oh. absolutely thrilled that we are because I think I it a, might end up here. I didn't know. <laughs> it's a different challenge. It's a different challenge. And I think particularly in light of 2020, and I will dare say continuing into 2021 because nothing really changed um, other than the U.S. got a new president, which we're very happy about that. But um, other than that very difficult moment we're, we're past, there's still a lot of the sameness. And as you said, the people who are being resilient and responding and, and moving and taking action are all in a different place in 2021 than people who are waiting for this to be over yeah. and are um, still waiting. 100%. And the key with resilience, resilience is not about taking away the challenges. Resilience is about how do you operate? How do you find the joy and the peace and the opportunity in the midst of the challenges? Because the challenges aren't going to stop. Like, even if we, everybody gets vaccinated, the pandemic is done. It doesn't mean we won't end up with a new pandemic. It doesn't mean we won't have more civil unrest. Uh, You know, maybe my country, I'm in Canada and, you know, we watch down to our Southern neighbors and it's, it's different, 
We don't need to go there, right? Who knows what is going to happen to us? We have no idea. And so how do we live today? How do we live in the present moment? Let go of the past and find a way forward so that we're living our best potential. And, you know, I have a, one of my programs helps people build an online program, right? Like how do you create and publish an online program? So when my business blew up in March, just like yours did, because I went to conferences and I did executive teams, in-person training and keynoting. And that was my world. And it all, uh, I remember saying on the 13th, which is the Friday in the afternoon, I was talking with a friend of mine and I said, well, at least I have my keynote in Texas still. <laughs> and late that night, I got the email, hi, we're going to cancel the, the conference. So I spent my weekend kind of going, oh, I have no revenue, zero revenue. I'd made a huge, huge investment in my uh, renovation. So it was the wrong time not to have revenue. And I did everything that you would think would happen, right? You got scared, you started to go, oh no, like all of it. And then on Monday, our, um, I don't even know if it was, yeah, it was that Monday, whatever day it was. I was looking and figuring out how do I fix this? And so what I did was I created uh, I filmed myself, all my colleagues were like, how do I build an online program? You make it look so simple. You write books, you, you know, done corporate work, et cetera. And I don't even like, and I'm like, you were going to build an online program three years ago, the last time we talked. I'm like, you haven't done that yet. And like, I'd hear it over and over and over and over again. Anyhow, the point of all of this story is to say, those people, now, many of them, I've had over 100 people go through the program, and I think 80% of them have launched their program, so that makes awesome. me really happy. But here's the point. One of my students, for 14 years, she's 53 years old, for 14 years, she said I was going to build an online program, and because she was scared, because she was overwhelmed, because she didn't have the self-awareness and the self-leadership and the people to help her, she didn't build it. To your point, let's think about those 14 years and how many people she could have helped, how many people she finally could have touched their lives and who are sitting there. So every day we don't step into our brilliance. And by the way, I'm talking to myself as much as I'm talking to anybody else, right? Like we all have, need these reminders, but every day you don't is a day that somebody who's waiting for your brilliance and your wisdom has to wait. Mm. Mm -hmm. And it's it's also interesting in the sense that because you were successful and shared your success, when the pandemic hit, people knew to reach out to you to ask you the question, hey, you make this look so simple. Can you help me? Yeah. Right. Well, and so and, it's, yes. it's like both of those things are true. Well, it's interesting because I'd laid the foundation before, and I know you teach a lot of networking strategies on and off the uh, virtual stage now. And one of the things, like I used to teach networking, I'm sure you say this too, is you always have to like build your network before you need it. Build your reputation before you need it. So those people came to me a few days after all of our speaking businesses collapsed because they had seen me for years selling online programs, selling to corporations, my um, programs, mm -hmm. right? Like that was... It, it was because the reputation and the brand and the experience was already established that that opportunity presented itself. That's amazing. I mean, I think that's it's it's both amazing and and I think what you're what you're also saying earlier, it's like speaking from a place of um, 
like gratitude and humility and heart as we talk about our success all the time, but particularly when others are so challenged. But I think I, you know, I've been trying to balance out all of this um, joy that I felt on a very microcosm space with giving in other ways. Like the part of the reason I, I've continued hosting um, now going, by the time this is released, a year of hosting a free event every week, that is a giving back. That's a wanting to give other people the same opportunity to connect and engage and learn. Um, you know, like, the, like everyone has to find their own way of doing it. Like I giving, giving more to charity, right. Giving your time to someone who really needs it, like being that, being that good friend. So, um, yeah, I, 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 I think what was really struck me was actually when I was talking to some people who I know are very successful and they are embarrassed and ashamed kind of about it. Um, yeah. I, I see it happen all the time, yeah. but I get it. And I, I understand it. And then sometimes what happens is people will get really successful and they're like, oh my gosh, do I deserve this success? There's that. And then they took their take their foot off the gas mm. to diminish their success. Like I've done that. Yeah. yeah. But then yeah. you don't help as many people. Exactly. So we all have <laughs> to step up. And again, like just saying, reminding myself, I'm going to put this on repeat, <laughs> you know, in my car or when I'm, well, when I get to go anywhere after the lockdown, you know, <laughs> we're back. In one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, All right. So um, I, I'm actually curious uh, because you've had such a, a, a vibrant and varied work history. Um, yeah. What did you think you were going to be? Like, what was the goal g- going into schooling? And, and where did you start out your career? Like, what was that first foray? Well, let's just say in university, when I, a guy, you know, I'd be out at the bars and, you know, flirting with, uh, young gentlemen, because I was young at the time, they'd say, oh, what do you want to do? And I'd be like, I'm going to be the first female prime minister of Canada. (laughs) So uh, that was my vision. Um, I didn't, it's funny because I always had a sense of the big win. I believed more than the in-betweens. I don't know if that makes sense. Like I could see like a huge future. I couldn't necessarily see the fact beyond the fact that I was a receptionist and a bartender at 25, right? So I didn't know how to go from there to the next. So it was a bit of a slow progression. It did jump around a lot. And I learned early, I wasn't going to be able to do that because my uh, choice initially, my goal in university to do a Bachelor of Law with an MBA, a Master's in Business Administration, was clearly... Uh, not particularly well thought out, given the fact that I was not a good student and didn't enjoy that type of learning. And it just wasn't my bailiwick. So what I thought I was going to do, I did end up running for politics, for Hmm. political office, 2007. Uh, And I'm glad I did it early to get it out of my system. Got it. Because I learned very quickly that we can facilitate more change doing the types of work we're doing now, inspiring people at an individual level than we can at the government level when sometimes it's a bit bureaucratic. Mm, yeah, early on, I, I was um, I had the opportunity to do a lot of lobbying and advocacy work in, in education is what we'd call it sometimes, depending on the, on the moment. Uh, and I, I got that same instinct, right? Like I, I, people were like, oh, you should go into office. Like, 
I was like, nope. <laughs> like you could do more outside the system than you can in, although you want to have partners within. So, I mean, I was Absolutely. Like, you want to do a yep. little bit of both, but, um, but that's really interesting. I love, I love the audacity of you telling your would-be suitors that you were going to be the first um, uh, female uh, prime minister. Like, how do you think those experiences went? Cause they yeah. were, they were running pretty quickly. <laughs> Maybe it was a tactic more than anything. It didn't quite work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it sounded great, but. <laughs> but, um, but then at what point were you in a thriving career when you decided to go into entrepreneurship? Oh gosh, no. Let's see. I, well, yes, I was. So I was a receptionist and a bartender. Uh, and I knew, so I did have this pull, this longing because I'd been exposed to enough Tony Robbins to enough uh, like Les Brown, like all of those good oldies, right? Jim Rowan. I knew there was a pull to something bigger. And as I said before, I could see the big, I just couldn't see the day to day. And I had such a problem with self-confidence. I was beating myself up inside. Like you're an idiot. You're like all these different horrible words. And I was scared and I didn't know like where to go to network. I wouldn't know who to talk to any of it. But I, I, I made this motto for myself. I decided after like talking myself out of opportunity so many times that I would talk myself in instead of talking myself out when opportunity presented itself. Because so often we default to the, you know, the negative side, the, you can't do that. You're not, etc. So anyway, I applied to be an executive assistant. And I went to the job interview, um, scared to death, did it anyway, got the job, and that opened up my new life. So then I started to see networking. I started to meet his, his colleagues right in the community. And then after 9-11, we had a chit chat and he said, like, do you really want to be an executive assistant? And I'm like, no, no offense and particularly not yours right like it just was not like I wanted to get out and he knew that so I left there and my dad's like well Allison you can't just quit your job I don't care if you don't like it and I'm like well you know life's too short and he's like okay well then your job is to get a job and you need to network and I'm like I don't know how to do that he said we well, got to get on the phone he said call David, he had a friend who was a lawyer. He said, call his wife, Erin. She'll help you. And like, do you remember, I don't know if you're old enough, Robbie, like for the old like push phones. Oh yeah. Where you actually dialed the numbers and it like bounced back at you. Yeah. And I'd like dial like six of the numbers and then hang up. I was that how, how old were you? I was 25 years old. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big deal. Yeah. It Most was. people ha like twice that age don't really have great networking skills. So to yeah. to be given that very direct, this is the next yeah. thing you have to do. Yes. Yeah. And wow. so anyway, that morning she invited me to be help out with an event. It was political in nature. Um, and I met people there, the future finance minister of our country. I met like all of these incredible human beings, like the political side and also the very philanthropic side. I got involved in charities. Everything started stemmed from there. Then it was raise money for the Salvation Army for two years. Then it was run an eating disorder center for two years as their founding executive director. Then my dad died and I really was so burned out. I was living my life as 
someone who like I had a post-it note that said deserve to hit the pillow. So you want to talk about like holding yourself to a high standard. Like I was 30, <laughs> 30. And I was like, you need to do more for this world. You need to help people more have to do this. And I was not making enough money to justify all of the stuff I was doing for everybody else. And I really, I burned out like in a big way. And then, you know, not, we don't need to get into the whole story. I mean, it's in one of my books and different things like that, but I ultimately ended up, uh, becoming a columnist and uh, then becoming the executive director of the Eating Disorder Center. And then, oh, no, then I was after that. Yeah, the columnist we used before. Anyway, it doesn't matter. All there. And then I eventually started to become a speaker. So what's interesting about becoming a speaker is that, I I mean, I was speaking in college and 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 even in high school, and I didn't know it was a thing. You know, <laughs> um, I know. had no idea, right? no idea. So at what point did you realize that speaking was a career? Oh, I was on a dance floor. Are you ready for this? So I was, because I was in the media, I was often asked to MC events. I was awful at it. Okay. Bright red, crackly voice, nonsensical sentences that I would repeat to myself and then beat myself up for, for weeks after it was done. And then I had to emcee this really important event to me. And it was called Wrap Around London. We were at the, at uh, the time it was called the John Labatt Center. So imagine a 9,000 foot um, seat stadium. And it was a black tie affair. We were on the ice. There's a big stage and the lights. And I was so committed to being good as an MC for that event that I practiced and I prepared and I said, Allison, it's not about you. It's about the audience. Take all the eyes off yourself. It was the only time I didn't come across as a very, very bad public speaker. Later that night, I was on the dance floor and one of this guy who I have high admiration for does a lot in the community, philanthropist, etc. He leans over. I remember his and his, him and his wife were dancing and he leans over and he goes, you've got a career in public speaking. You should do that for a living. And I laughed. I looked at him. I said, oh, John, if only they'd ever pay me for that. Because I'd only ever spoken for free. And he just looked at me with this look of knowing. And he's like, he laughed. He goes, <laughs> and he went back to dancing with his wife and off he went. And that moment planted a seed. You know, what's interesting about this, Allison, is that you got exposed to Les Brown and all the gym and all the other greats. So you saw the results of a lifetime of speaking professionally. You benefited from what they had done. But it sounds like a decade later, more than a decade later, it dawned on you that you could do something. Is that because they were so great? Like yeah. you wouldn't ever have thought to do that. Exactly. And I also had only been exposed to being on stage for free. I never connected the dots of Les Brown shows up at an event and he gets paid whatever he would have gotten paid, $20,000 or $10,000 or $5,000, doesn't matter. I had had $50 honorariums and gift certificates to the local, you know, um, local pub, right? Like, so my, there was, and again, this, this is fascinating to me because I think like curiosity, self-awareness. I always understood the big, like, okay, well, that Les Brown can be on that stage. 
Tony Robbins can be on that stage, but little old Allison, well, maybe when I'm like a lot older, I can be on that stage, but I can't be striving for that stage now. I got to earn a living. I got to go to the restaurant and be a waitress. Like it, yeah. it was such a disconnect. It's fascinating to me. Yeah. I think a lot of people get stuck in these places where they, they have a, a gift or a talent or, or someone sees something in them and they downplay it both because it's not something, you know, that maybe they work hard at or they just don't value as highly or they just have only ever seen excellence in that area and they don't understand that they could, you know, fill a gap <laughs> somewhere between yeah. mediocre and excellence. Um, <laughs> there's a lot <laughs> there's of space there. <laughs> there is. And, you know, it's interesting because what other people see in us can, can create our box, right? So I was from a small town, like, right? So there was that. The inner self-talk, I think, was the biggest detriment to everything. And, you know, the constantly beating the, yourself up, like all of that contributed to me not seeing that there's a difference between horrible and brilliant and somewhere in between I could find my place. I want to shift our gears a little bit and talk about networking sure. because clearly yeah. relationships were... Um, playing such a pivotal role in so many of these moments in your life as things shifted. And you have written about this. Um, so the, the we didn't mention this in your intro, but you have on Amazon, from business cards to business relationships, personal branding and profitable networking made easy. You also um, did an ebook, Busy is a Bad Excuse Not to Network or Do Anything Else Important. <laughs> I love that. That's really funny. Um, you, you have great titles. Uh, so tell me, how, how do you think about this? Like, what are your, let, let's say you were trying to stay connected, not just to your inner circle, but let's mm -hmm. think like the second and third layers out of your network. What are your philosophies or practices or habits that help you sustain and nurture those connections? Yeah, it's interesting because sometimes these days I think it's uh, do as I say, not as I do. Is that fair? Like, it mean, and, and, and the reason for that is because one year I went to 241 events the year before I wrote my book on how to network. And I think the first line of the book was should have been, do not go to 241 events. <laughs> Right, because that's a lot of work. I loved it. I'll never um, think that I had a horrible surgery that, uh, you know, I was working two to five hours of functionality a day, so I couldn't keep up that pace. So here's my philosophy: go deeper, faster. Because three minutes of a genuine, authentic, deep conversation that has you either laughing or crying or just knowing that the other person, there's something there is more valuable than 30 minutes, an hour of conversation that is just like uninteresting, boring, etc. So there are people who I've met once or twice that we had such a good conversation that we were both so present in the moment. And I think a lot of it has to do with presence, has a lot to do with taking your eyes off yourself if you're feeling self-conscious and, you know, focusing on the needs of the other person while honoring your own needs. Okay. So there's a balance there. And I think when you can master that, that quick connect, you don't have to stay in touch every month. You can see each other on social. You can interact. You can touch base. You can every now and again say, oh, I was thinking about you the other day. 
Or you can send them a note and say, hey, I know this person who's looking for this and I think you'd be a great person to connect them with. Are you cool with that? And of course, they're going to say yes, because you had such a meaningful connection. Yeah, yeah. It's really, it's about cultivating connections, not collecting business cards. Correct. And I think early on, I was, I did a combination of both and I focused on volume. So I got really good at connecting. That was a part of the art that I, I figured out early in the networking piece when I overcame my fear. And I was doing both. And then when, you know, uh, circumstances took away my ability to do volume, I had to go, okay, what is it that's still allowing me to be connected with these people? And so when I say, do as I say, not as I do, I mean, I used to say, go to different events. I used to say, you know, network very consistently with people. Whereas now what I would say is go deep with the people you choose to network with. One of the, uh, one of the practices or strategies that I have suggested over the years is um, to become a regular as quickly as possible because then you don't have to maintain the same level of attendance. Yes. But if you show up three times in 12 to 14 months versus three times in three months, like if you go three times in three months and you show up and you are really present and you're really engaged and you meet all the players, then if you don't show up for three months, people won't forget you when you show up again month seven. Right. Exactly the point. And also people are funny. When I used to write this column, it was very popular four times a week for four years. And it was called the people, you know, and probably it took a good four years before people stopped telling me that they read my column all the time. But here's the thing. They weren't lying. They did read the column all the time when it was published, right? They just, we, we anchor people where we, we meet them. So if we meet them and we have a great connection and we go deep really fast, then when we see them, we're like, oh yeah. It's like, you know, we think right back to that. That's our thing. So to your point, you go the first three months, you make incredible connections. Then you can go every other month and they're going to remember you and you can buy back a bit of your time. Yeah. I, I remember when I finally realized this, where I went really deep for four, three, four months and then didn't show up for like six, but was getting referrals. I love and- it. And it was, and it was right. partly because I was having individual or small group connections with the people I had met from the first four months. Yes. I just wasn't going to the week, the, going to their monthly meeting, but I was hosting dinners and lunches and catch up calls with a handful of people. So, you know, you, you kind of find your people and you nurture those connections. So I, I'm really curious when, um, since, since going to events was not the answer yes. pre pandemic and it's not the answer now a year into the pandemic what is the way you've been approaching you know what does virtual networking mean for you or or how do you think about engaging with people when they're in this virtual space yeah so i was very fortunate early on a group of speaker colleagues who i didn't really like i had a periphery relationship with i did not have a um intimate relationship with like you know like i didn't have a deep relationship i would say with we actually opened up a Zoom room every day at noon, Monday to Friday, for the first two months of the pandemic. Wow. And if you wanted to come in, you could. One of them, uh, one of the groups still honors that. So she just does her lunch, puts it on. If you need somebody to talk to, you're there. So I encourage people to take a leadership role, offer something like that. Uh, the next way is phone calls, FaceTime, et cetera, with people. 
um, who I've reached out to. I have created accountability groups where, you know, if we aren't doing anything with clients, then uh, for two hours, Tuesday and Thursday, we actually, we, this is just um, for this year, uh, we actually get together and everybody, you know, has a little camaraderie, like as if you were in an office. And then we say, what are we going to work on? We go work and then we come back together two hours later. So it's a lot of that being creative piece, showing up to, you know, five o'clock uh, groups. I've been a part of different groups that I know you're aware of. Sunday night, scotch night, right? Like all of it adds up. And it's interesting. I've probably met new, deeper connections during this pandemic than I ever would have met in my little bubble of going to the conferences, showing up, getting off an airplane, showing up, getting on stage, and then maybe doing the cocktail party and then hopping on an airplane. Like that lifestyle, I, I actually feel very grateful that that is no longer my lifestyle. Mm. I Well, I love what you're saying. I, I totally concur that I've met more, not just quantity of people, but more quality people yes. with good, deep connections. Um, my, I mean, my weekly event, 1,100 people, probably at the time of this recording, you know, nearing 1,400, 1,500 people. I mean, a lot of people have signed up. But what matters is that there's a good 20, 25% that come religiously. Um, every time there's 25 to 30% new, which means majority of people have been there before, but there are about 25% that have been there now more than 20 times. So imagine the impact, the ripple effect during this difficult time of you hosting. And this is the, the power of having a leadership role, of running your own events of doing like taking that leap and, and doing this sort of thing, because that is, Literally, if it's 1,400, if it's, gosh, if it were only 20 people, it wouldn't matter. It's like you've touched lives. You've created a platform for people to connect in a time when it's really tough to connect. And that that's golden. That's golden. Yeah. The challenge I've been dropping for everybody when I talk about this is to think about, like, if they were to host their own regular convening of some kind Love for it. 6, 10, 12 people, maybe with a co-host. Who would it be with? You know, who, who, who would you want? Would it be your family? Would it be friends? Would it be your grad school friends? Would it be colleagues from five years ago? Would it be prospects? And I've had a lot of people start their own monthly gatherings uh, because of that. And that's yeah. to me what we, if you're able to do it, which, you know, most of us are, even though we don't realize it, if you're able to take this action, you know, get, get beyond that voice in your head, like you said earlier, and um, it's such a gift. It's such a gift in this time. It is. And you know, the other piece I've just gotten turned on to is Clubhouse. Have you heard of Clubhouse yet? I have. I, I have actually resisted joining. It's easy to resist when you have an Android. Um, oh, right. Yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah. So, well, I, have, <laughs> I, I, have, I don't bring it up with my Android friends. I have access to an iPad. So if I really okay. want to get it on, I could. Um, but I'm actually uh, been consuming books, audiobooks at a clip that I've never done before. So I've decided that if I got on Clubhouse, I would not do the books. You might. So I'm choosing you, you might. It, for the it, moment. The first week of Clubhouse, you've got to yeah. be prepared because it's pretty addictive. I and saw your write-up. I have to say, oh, yeah. we'll have to link to your write-up because I thought your write-up was genuinely a really good introduction um, from a new new novice experience, you know, novice person's experience of it. Um, I, cause I had been hearing about it, but I really appreciate what you're saying. And like everything else, 
if you show up enough times, you do form relationships there as well. Yes. And actually, I'm surprised the depth of relationship that is created with these people who I only know their audio voice. Yeah. The, 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 the conversation depth. So for people who don't know, Clubhouse is an audio only a social media platform. And so Robbie said he'll link, I've got a column, um, just a blog post actually, 15 tips to get started and to understand it. So it's, but it's this conversation and being able to facilitate and uh, a venue for people to feel safe to talk. It's fascinating. Yeah, no, it's great. I think anyone who's interested in podcasts would be interested in learning more about that. And hopefully- By the time this airs, uh, it'll be available to Android users. <laughs> One can only hope. <laughs> I use uh, it on my iPad sometimes, so that'll work. <laughs> that's good to know. Hey, um, I have a I have a wrap up question that I love asking. It's one of my favorite questions. Uh, if we were to you know be reconnecting a year from now, and I I am assured that we are going to stay in touch. It's been too much yeah. fun. But um, let's say I were to be asking you, you know. Hey, how was your year? And you start telling me all the amazing things that have happened. I want to know what are we going to be celebrating? What are you most looking forward to in the year ahead? Oh, you know what? I really want to expand my online um, programs because I and my coaching piece. So that has given me joy that I never like I've done online programs, did a lot corporately, you know, it was sold a bit individually. This focusing on serving the individual as a business owner. The entrepreneur, you know, somebody who's been around the the block a few times, if I can say that delicately, and is maybe holding themselves back and seeing them go, I'm gonna get this is like lighting me up. So if we can get me out of the hundreds and into the thousands, tens of thousands, maybe even millions one day, um, of touching people's lives with my books, with my online programs, with my talks like this, then you know what? That would be a life well lived. Yeah, yeah. I can't wait to celebrate that with you. What an impact you would have. That's wonderful. So actually speaking of which, how can people find you and follow your work? Sure. So come on over to alisongraham.co and on my website, you are going to find online programs, everything from take back your weekends to dealing with your time management to how to create an online uh, program as well as some free stuff, blogs, et cetera. And I'm most active on LinkedIn, so please come and follow me there. Uh, connect, say hello. Let me know that Robbie introduced us via audio on his uh, podcast. So I, I know where to you know think of you in my mind and to thank Robbie for the connection. And uh, I'm also now apparently active on Clubhouse. <laughs> where you claimed at Allison Graham. My own name. Oh my gosh, for the first time, there's no D in the middle of it. Allison Don Graham on every platform. <laughs> Not that one. Clubhouse. Yeah, that's awesome. So uh, we will have all those links, including to your books and your Twitter and your LinkedIn and your website, which is .co, as she mentioned, all at um, all the on the schmooze.com. And I'm just so grateful for this conversation. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, Robbie. Thanks for the work you do. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Allison. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. 
Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 234. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources in today's show, as well as over 225 archived episodes on this Pinterest-inspired page. Reach out and let me know which were your favorite interviews. If you're on Clubhouse, find me at Robbie Samuels and click on the bell on my profile so you're notified when I'm hosting a room. I'm experimenting with times of day and plan to have recurring events on a variety of topics. If you enjoyed this episode with Allison, please share with your friends and don't forget to subscribe for free so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review on Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance and look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another talent professional who's achieved success in their field or industry. I'll ask probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their leadership journey and how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.